So this morning we continue now in the fourth of our five-week sermon series on the book Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, the first week we talked about community and how uh, Bonhoeffer suggests that we have a sense of what community ought to look like because we can look back and see Jesus. And Jesus is how God has accommodated us and shown us what the community at the end of time in glory will look like. So let's shape our community around the person of Jesus. The second chapter was about the day together, and we talked about the practices that we share together and how there's power in those things. That we pray together, and we, and we read scripture together, and we sing songs together because there's something powerful about that, that there's something that changes the world because we engage in those things. Last week we had the day alone, and we talked about silence and the importance of getting quiet and not just for quiet sake but because there in that silence oftentimes is where we find the person of Jesus meeting us and bringing us the healing that we need and today we're in the fourth chapter and that chapter is on ministry and it is um, the, the kind of chapter that as a minister you love to talk about so let us pray. Shatter the silence, mighty God, with your glad and glorious greetings. Banish all our fears and give us faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. If there is anything said from this pulpit that is against your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said from this pulpit that is according to your will, let it be heard as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe, and believing, obey. Amen. I'd like to start out uh, by being the bearer of bad news, and that is that summer is over. It's over. It is. Finished. It's kaput. It's gone. I know there will be a day or two this week that will be warm, but trust me, folks, it's over. I mean, for the next month or so, you will be looking at red and orange leaves and being thankful for those things. You'll enjoy college football games, maybe. You'll drink apple cider and eat those donuts. You'll cast your head back and say, I love the autumn. I love the fall. Don't you love the fall? Then November will come. It's going to come. It comes every year and it's going to get cold and we'll break out the wool. And we'll be excited about the sweater weather. That's what we call it in New England, sweater weather. And our noses will turn pink, but that's okay. The knuckles, that skin around our knuckles will get tight and we'll have to use extra lotion. But it will be okay. It'll be okay because we will be preparing for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so all of this is just part of our year. But then somewhere in there, the snow is going to come. A foot in Montana over the weekend, I heard. It's going to come and every weatherman on radio and TV will blast out the noise that it's coming and all the people will become pilgrims to Target and Kroger to stock up on all the needed supplies. 
What do you stock up on when the storm comes? What do you, salt? Always a good thing to get some salt. One time, a storm was coming, a really big storm was coming, and my wife and I heard about this storm, and we did what everyone does, every panicked and desperate soul does when the storm is coming, and we ran to the grocery store, and we stocked up on milk and bread and batteries and chocolate, and we readied our little generator and we filled our gas tank, you know, and we put away the last of the summer toys. We put them in the shed and to make room for them, we pulled out the snowblower. Yeah, we had a snowblower. It was a hand-me-down snowblower from a parishioner that had downsized their driveway, but it did everything I needed to do. It blew snow. And so I pulled the snowblower out and got it ready and, and watched the snow fall from the sky, smugly from my fireplace, eating chocolate, playing board games with my children, and thinking that snow will be no match for me and my machine. I might have been a tad too smug. See, when it came time to blow this snow, I went out to my snowblower and I flicked on the engine and I pulled the cord and nothing happened. And so I pushed that little plastic button that it says to push three times and I pulled the cord and nothing happened. And so I kept pushing that plastic button, which I hear now is not what you're supposed to do. But I pulled that cord again, and do you know what happened? I pulled the cord right out of the snowblower. Now, I didn't pull off the metal thing. That's just all I had today. I pulled, just so go with it, okay? I pulled the snow, the starter cord right out of the snowblower. And so there I was holding that starter cord in my hand. But before you start feeling too bad for me, you should know that with that pull, my snowblower spit and gurgled and choked, and it came on. Yeah. And it was then that I realized that I had one shot. I had one shot. That if I didn't get that snow blown with this one shot, I was going to be spending the rest of my day shoveling that driveway and a month getting therapy for my back. <laughs> and so I went for it. I was an artist. I was an absolute artist with that snowblower, knowing that if it stalled out or ran out of gas, I was in trouble. And so I was careful and unrelenting. I was enthusiastic and intentional with that snowblower, moving all the snow from my driveway. And when I was done, I looked over and my neighbor had come outside. And I yelled to him and I said, Bob, It's all yours. I can't turn it off, but it's all yours until it runs out of gas. And then Bob ran over and he got my snowblower and he started working. 
Can you imagine what life would be like if we took on everything the way that I took on that chore with my one shot with that snowblower? Can you imagine what life would be like, what we would be like as human beings if we really knew that we were holding a starter cord, that we were holding the starter cord and we had one shot. Can you imagine, would we, would we be more careful with those with whom we disagree because we've got one shot? Would we be more intentional? Would we be more enthusiastic with our kindness toward other people? Would we be more passionate about giving to our neighbor Hey, Bob, it's all yours. How would we be if we really knew and we really grasped the idea that we are holding the starter cord, that we got one shot? Now, I'm not the first, of course, to encourage this kind of imagining, although I think it is important to do it from time to time, to be reminded of it from time to time, but I'm not the first. You've heard sayings that encourage this kind of imagining, like carpe diem. Carpe diem, which means seize the day, right? That's an older, that's a Latin saying. There's also newer, newer ones like YOLO. <laughs> you know YOLO? You only live once. Am I cool now, acolytes, that I know that? <laughs> They're shaking their heads no. I also heard another one after the 8 o'clock service, Wahoo, we are here only once. These are sayings, we like to be encouraged to imagine this reality in our lives, that we're holding the starter cord, that we only get one shot. But most of the time when we hear those phrases or we even use them, we're not inviting one another and we're not being invited into compassion but consumption. Right? So people don't say carpe diem, seize the day, and go help out someone that's lonely. They say carpe diem, buy the boat. Right? They don't say YOLO, you only live once, so love the world as enthusiastically as you can. They say YOLO, go on that trip, treat yourself, you only live once. Right? But that's about the opposite of what Paul suggests when he writes to the Corinthians and invites them to consider their temporality, the one shot that they have. He says in verse 5, for we do not proclaim ourselves, meaning this one shot, it's not about us. We don't proclaim ourselves. This isn't about how we satisfy the completion of our consumer needs. Not about us. He goes on, we do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as slaves for Christ's sake. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
says, but we have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We have this treasure in clay jars. The very, very beginning of the Bible, we, we hear about the creation of Adam and Eve. You know, in Hebrew, the, the word for ground is, is Adama. And the first person is created to be Adam, right? So in, essentially, we are dirt people created from the dirt. Treasure in clay jars. That's what we are. And Paul acknowledges that our time is limited. Clay jars don't last forever. We are holding a starter cord and have one shot at this. And he says that we're clay jars not to meant, this, meant to hold this shape forever. And, and while this may make us anxious and make us think, okay, well, I better get to doing this. I better get to checking off my bucket list. His idea is not how much we can consume, but how do we carry the treasure? It might be that we get one shot, but in that one shot, we have this opportunity to carry the treasure. And I think that's an important place for Christian people to start, to recognize that you carry a treasure. You are a clay jar carrying the same treasure that God put in the nostrils of that first being, Adam, when he breathed life into him, the Holy Spirit. You carry the treasure, the good news that God is very, very close. How will you carry it? How will you carry it? Bonhoeffer writes in Life Together, this book, by the way, he wrote in an underground seminary during a Nazi occupation. So this is a person who really understands the temporariness of life, right? And he wrote, even from that dire, luxurious situation that life is decided by the faithfulness with which people serve Jesus Christ, never by the extraordinary gifts they possess. In other words, the value of our lives is not the jar itself, but the treasure that it holds. Know that you, Kirk in the Hills, hold the treasure. It's been breathed on you. How will you carry it? What is your call, individually and as a community? We have new members here today. They're bringing, they've been brought here by God to help us to live in to our call to carry the treasure. Now for Bonhoeffer, he suggests three ways to carry it. He says, first, be a good listener. Be a good listener. I love how he puts it. He says, many people seek a sympathetic ear and do not find it among Christians because these Christians are talking even when they should be listening. Same as it ever was, you know. He wrote this a long time ago. Second, he says, it means prioritizing helpfulness. That's another way that Bonhoeffer says, carry the treasure, prioritize helpfulness. He says, nobody is too good for the lowest service. 
Those who worry about the loss of time entailed by such small external acts of helpfulness are usually taking their own work too seriously. And finally, he says, carrying the treasure means bearing with others. He asks, do we really believe there is a single person in this world who does not need either comfort or admonition? Be a good listener. Prioritize helpfulness. Bear with others. That's how Bonhoeffer invites us to carry the treasure. What's your particular calling? When you think about that, how will I, do I believe, first of all, that that God has put this treasure in me, that I do carry the power of the Holy Spirit? How will I carry it, I think is the next question. And so in the interest of practicing what I preach, I want to create just a moment of silence in this space. Last week we talked about silence, and I want to invite you to consider what does this look like for you? Specifically, your calling to carry the treasure. Let's pray. My sense is that some of you probably bowed your head, closed your eyes, and immediately had something come to mind. But many, like I know for me a lot of the time, what came to mind was my grocery list. (laughs) You know, the thing, the demands placed on life that aren't a part of this conversation. And so if that was you, let me end with a story about my friend Bill. Unlike the rest of us, Bill was thrilled to hear about the blizzard that took the life of my snowblower. This was because Bill, unlike most of us, doesn't manage the snow with a plastic shovel or a finicky snowblower. Bill has a three-quarter ton truck and a steel plow. And so, as you might imagine, Bill is very popular when a snowstorm comes. Now, that particular storm lasted 24 hours, and it was one of those storms that came in waves. And so, Bill went out to plow the snow, and he went out all night, and he came back, and he slept for a couple of hours. And then he was called back out, and he had to plow again, the same roads he'd plowed before. And he came back and he got a couple hours sleep and then he was called back out. And in the third time when he was called out, on one of these small roads, a man jumped out into the middle of the road and insisted that he stop with this three-quarter ton truck, which I learned after the first service does not mean that the truck weighs three-quarters of a ton. I know, I'm not a car person. Actually, right, 12,000 pounds or so being asked to stop on this snowy road by a man in the middle of the road. 
Well, Bill managed to slow the truck down, and he rolled down his windows, and he squinted at the man, and the man pointed his finger at him, and he said, you're going to plow my driveway. And Bill said, well, I can't. I've, I've got all this work to do. I've been called to this today. The man said, no, you're going to do it. I need you to do it, and you're going to do it right now. He was demanding that Bill do this work. And Bill said, sorry, I can't do it. I've, I've got to... I've got these neighborhoods to plow. They're counting on me. And the man said, one more time, I'll pay you cash right now. What's your problem? And Bill rolled up his window and said, sorry, man, I got to go. Now, here's the thing. You've just heard me say that carrying the treasure can oftentimes mean prioritizing helpfulness, right? And if this man was in need of help, if he was that kind of person, my friend Bill would have been the last to abandon him. But here's the other thing. There are always going to be people standing in the road demanding that you listen. Drawing you off course from what God has called you to do. And as fragile clay jar people, as people holding the starter cord that have a one shot in this life to live in to the call that Jesus has called us to, we've got to stop listening to the bully in the middle of the road. The one that says, pay attention. Because there is something more important. Something God is laying on your heart to do. Some calling. And you have one shot at it. You're holding the starter cord. One shot to listen. One shot to be kind in your trip around this life. One shot to give one another one more shot. That's it. So amen.